0: Dorisville family. How are you guys doing today? Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? This is a good crowd. We're so glad that you are here. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube and on Facebook or listening on the radio, we're just glad to have you guys. God bless you so much. What great worship. Amen. I really appreciate it. you didn't say amen. you supposed to say amen. What great worship. Yeah, and and you know I, the the video that David chose was just incredible for the occasion of the Fourth of July and praying for our nation. So it's really just awesome. Well, listen, hey, we are in like week three. This is a three-week series, and we're in week three uh, base camp. And we learned uh, that base camp for Everest is at about seventeen thousand feet, and it takes you nine days to get there. So before you even get up the mountain, you got to go to the base camp, and you hike for nine days, two of which are rest days. Because of the altitude and your body not being accustomed to that So it takes you a while to get to base camp And we also heard this, that a lot of people never make it past base camp Some don't even make it to the base camp They quit and turn around before they even get there And so many people get to base camp and say, you know what, that's far enough for me That's good enough for me And uh, so we also learned that the purpose of base camp is several things One is to, to strengthen your body um, to acclimate your body to the altitude, but to strengthen your body. And then we also learned last week that we, we start preparing and gathering things that we need to take up the mountain. And to, today we're going to look at the trekking. The trekking. The actual... The, the, right when we launch to go up the mountain, to go up Everest, to prepare for the journey and the trip. You might call it the night before or the morning of what we're going to leave. And what should we do? Now, I've never climbed Mount Everest. But I have... Climbed Mount LeConte. Now, Mount LeConte is um, the, high, the third. Well, it's the highest full-time lodge east of the Mississippi. It's the third highest mountain east of the Mississippi. It's almost sixty-six hundred feet. That's over a mile up. Okay, and the trail to go to Mount LeConte. Takes you, it's a five and a half mile, takes you all day, 5.5 miles. A lot of it is up. In fact, when Gene and I rode from Pigeon Forge recently, we walked a couple, about two or three miles, four miles, no, two miles up. We walked two miles of it and came back down the hill. Somebody said, did you go to the top? I said, no, never intended to. Never intended to. But anyway, it was really such a great adventure. And it's really hard to get reservations. Bob Neaver, my friend Bob, uh, was a biology teacher in Anna, And he got reservations. And every year he would take his science class to Mount Lecon. When he retired, he kept the reservations. So three times, our church at Cobden, you know, a group of us. And, I mean, we're talking about 15, 20 crazy people would do this. And uh, we would go up and climb, climb Mount Lacan. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's how crazy I was. There's no electricity. There was running water. There's no electricity. Um, we went in April, and you get one pot of oil in your stove. It does not last all night. It lasts about till midnight. After that, you're on your own, okay? The one, there, I spent two cold nights in my life. The first, number one, was Africa. Of all places, in the middle of the desert, we were cold, Jenny. Am I correct? We were freezing to death. But the second is Mount Leconte. It was one crazy cold place um, that night. But anyway, in today's dollars, it cost 160 bucks to freeze to death. I mean, it was crazy. Y'all know I'm more frugal than that. Alright? But anyway, so we got down to Pigeon Forge, and and we went to Olam Cave uh, Trailhead. That's where you launch from, and we had our backpack there ready to go, and I wore my, this is my Columbia uh, mountain climbing Africa shirt, okay? I was going to wear my hiking boots, but I just knew I would trip and kill myself if I tried to wear them, uh, but I did bring uh, one of my hiking hats here. I bought that so you can see what that looked like, okay? All right and then of course I got my Joe Cool camouflage sunglasses. Now do I not look like a hiker? Why are you laughing for? <laughs> yeah, sure. And so anyway, so I have not climbed Everest but I have climbed up, like I say, up Mount Leconte, and it was an incredible journey. Well, tonight we want to look at, today we want to look at this idea of trekking, getting ready to go. There is no better scripture than Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So if you get your Bibles and turn there, if you have the worship at, your electronic device, go down that corner, hit there, and hit more, and then hit events, and you are in, and you'll have all the scriptures and all the quotes and all that stuff uh, right there in the worship app, okay? So we're not sure who wrote um, Hebrews. Uh, some people say Paul, some people say Luke, some people say somebody else, okay? But we start out in chapter 12, and it's just make. It's a scripture I'm sure you heard many times. This is one of the scriptures I learned uh, when I was a royal ambassador also. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, therefore, now keep in mind, all right, here's a test. Are you ready? What comes before chapter 12? Chapter 11. That's exactly right, Brent. See? All right. And what was 11 all about? Faith. But all these people who did all this incredible, amazing things um, for God and with God. Okay. So there's a therefore. And you always stop when you see a therefore and find out what it's there for. Okay. And so we look back to, oh, yeah, chapter 11. So then we move to chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith. Let me read that again. Since, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So all the people who have gone on already before us, and one day that will include us, okay? But all these people are witnesses to the life of faith. Now, I'll be honest with you, um, there was a time that I preached this a lot, and it preaches really well, okay? And I remember a younger pastor getting up here, you know, and I was all excited, passionate, and I was talking how all these saints have gone by, Moses and and, and Joshua and all these guys, and they're all up in heaven, you know, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. and they're all going, Go, Dwayne! Go, Dwayne! Go, Dwayne! You can do it, Dwayne! The trouble is, that's really not the idea. See, they weren't, they weren't witnessing what we were doing. Rather, they were cheerleading for the God who's got it. They weren't, they weren't witnessing about us. They were witnessing about the greatness of God. They're up there going, God, yay, God, God, we know, yay, God, yay, God, go, God. God, you've got this. And they were right. Amen? They were right. They were right. So, so we see then these witnesses up there praising God and worshiping God and encouraging us in the life of faith. God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. And so he does. Now, what does that look like? Well, sometimes, sometimes the story looks like this. And it's from Hebrews chapter 11. Part of that chapter was talked about. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 33 and 34. Sometimes. Somebody say sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. See not all the time. But sometimes the story looks like this. By faith these people overthrew kingdoms. Yay! Uh, They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. We all like this story, don't we? We all like a story with a happy ending. We all like a story where things go just like we want them to. Okay? It goes on. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. And they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weaknesses were turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Yay, God! We all like that, don't we, Brent? And we all say at the end of the story... God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. And it's true. It's true. Any but sometimes. Sometimes the story don't go like that. Sometimes it goes like this. And this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37. Some died. Some died. By stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing um, skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were, I love this part, they were too good for this world. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. But all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Now listen, yet none of them, somebody say none of them. Yeah, none of them, none of them received all that God had promised. Sometimes time the story goes like that. Sometimes we get everything we want and it's victorious. We get thrown into a lion's den and the lions get lockjawed and we all say yay. Or sometimes it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and we're thrown into the furnace and the fire can't touch us. But sometimes we die. Sometimes missionaries on a foreign field are killed. So what do you say to that? You say this. God is still good. God is still faithful. And God can still be trusted. See, see the, the character of God and the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God does not rely on our circumstances. It stands alone, it stands by itself. So, all these witnesses, okay, were testifying the goodness of God. And by the way, you know what's really interesting? Here's what's really interesting. The the word witness, okay, the word witness there means it comes, our English word martyr comes from that. How interesting is that? The word martyr comes from that. So regardless how the story ends, God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. So, So all these witnesses are worshiping God and praising God, and God's got this, and then we prepare to go. So, so see, we have this great, huge cloud of witnesses. And then he says this in verse 1. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us. Do you see the two categories there? Do you see it? There, There are weights that slow us down, okay? And there's sin that trips us up. The weights that slow us down, they're a hassle. They have consequences, but they're small. There are consequences, they're not lasting. But, but, but they make the journey harder. And there are, there are things, there are gray areas in our life that maybe not be really good decisions, but we choose to do them anyway. And we do them not only a sin, just a gray area. And they're just not good for us. It's just not a really good decision for us. And we do that, and it just makes life harder. But you've got to be careful. Because notice what it says about the sin, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. There are places in this trip to Mount Lacan, you know, along the edges of valleys, perhaps cliffs, and one wrong step, and you're going over the side. And it's it's worse than the Garden of God's. It's 120 feet. And all you need to do is stumble, and you could die. I want you to understand, while weights, the things that are not really sins, they're just not really good choices, they might weigh us down. They may hassle our lives. But I want you to understand, sin can kill us. Sin can kill us. So we've got to be careful, all right? So we've got to be careful, then, what we put, what we pack, what we gather into our backpack. See, the backpack is no place for frivolous things. Um, the word frivolous means not having serious purpose or value. So, so when you put your backpack together, whatever you put in there, you don't want to put frivolous things. You don't, you don't want to have things that might hassle you. Because you've got to remember, whatever you put in the backpack is going on your back, and you're going to carry it up. And most likely, unless you eat it, you're going to carry it down. So be careful, Paul would say, Don't put, be careful what you put in your backpack. Luke might say, be careful what you put in your backpack. All right? Be careful what you choose. Don't choose frivolous things without really any purpose. Rather, rather make sure that you're lean and mean. Make sure that you're lean and mean. If you're going to make this journey, if you're going to leave base camp and go to the summit, if you're going to leave base camp with the intention of reaching the top, you've got to be lean and mean. You've got to be careful what you put in the bag. So first we're going to look at, what do you leave? You have to make a decision, what do you leave behind? Hey, do y'all have a stuff problem? You know, we, in common days, we had a big house, but that wasn't the problem. We had a 60 by 80 two-story barn. The guy that owned the house for us was a photographer. He had a studio and everything in there. And you know what you can accumulate over 14 years? A lot. And a lot of it was pay- people, people would bring their stuff to my house, okay, and say, here, would you store this? And they never came back and got it. And when you guys, <laughs> and when you guys came and got us in Cobden, some of you made a haul. Because we said, say, we don't want that, we do. We don't want that, we do. We don't want that, we do. The people in Cobden still love us because of all the stuff we gave away. We had so much stuff. You remember? Too much stuff? Too much stuff? Well, sometimes, sometimes that happens. We have too much stuff. We have too much to put in the bag, and we have to choose what's going to go up the mountain with us. We have to choose what to leave. We have this chair. Did you all know I'm a dumpster diver? Yeah, I am. Brent, you don't. Well, one day I was going down the road, and there's this white wicker chair. And, you know, wicker is expensive. And people love wicker. So it was like, you know, it was like mostly like, you know. And so I, I, I put it in my car. And I took it to my house. And I had to drive a nail in a place, okay. And there were some of it that was sagging day. But, you know, it was still pretty good. And it sat on my front porch for like three years. And finally Judy said, got to go. So we got a replacement chair. And I said, now, Judy, we've done this several times. Put that sucker on Facebook, and somebody will take it. Wicker is valuable. Well, she took a picture and put it on Facebook, and no one took the chair. The trash man got the chair. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my, this is such a valuable chair. You see what it wasn't. The chair should have gone three years ago. There was a reason why the person threw it away. I should have left it beside the road. So we have to decide what we're going to leave. And here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 4. Since you have, Now listen, this is good. Since you have heard about Jesus, since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. You've heard about Jesus and you learned the truth. Okay? So we hear the truth and we apply the truth. To learn there means to apply, to assimilate, to ingest. Okay? So Paul says since you have done that, since you've heard the truth, and since you have assimilated the truth that comes from him, throw off, get rid of. Don't store it. Don't go get a storage building and put that stuff in there. Get rid of your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So as you get ready to go up to the mountain, and you're deciding what to leave behind, do this. All things not Jesus leave behind. When you're going to the summit, okay, when your goal is the top of the mountain with Jesus, all things that are not Jesus Leave behind. It's an easy test. It's easy test. Will this hinder me from the summit, or will this help me get to the summit? Will it help me be the, on top of the mountain with Jesus? Will it hinder me from being on top of the mountain with Jesus? Now, in Colossians chapter three, Paul goes a little bit further. He says in chapter, verse eight, he says, "But now is the time. So, so it's the night before, it's the night before the trip, OK? And we're getting ready to go. Now's the time. You know, Paul said, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You may have put off any hours. You may have sat around and drank coffee with the boys. Your backpack's not ready to go. You really haven't gone through it and, and weeded out, whittled out the things that don't need to be there. So you're not quite ready to go. Well, Paul says, okay, so now is the time to get rid of, to get rid of some things. And he starts listing some items. Okay? So we're going to unzip our backpack. This backpack. It's called Old Blue, Old Blue, and it belongs to Judy. And it's probably been to Africa 10 times. It's been to Hawaii. It's been to London. It's been all over this world. This is Old Blue. And um, so Old Blue has got some stuff in it that I probably wouldn't want to take up the mountain, okay? So we're going to use Paul's list. He said now now's the time to get rid of anger. So we're going to reach in Old Blue here. And we're going to get this big old clump of anger because we don't want to carry this up the mountain. Brent, come here a second. Would you tell these nice people if this rock is heavy or not? Yeah, it's, it's a heavy rock. I, I'll talk about that in just a moment. Okay, so, so we're going to get the anger out. We don't, want to carry, we don't want to carry anger up the mountain. Okay, and by the way, you don't want to carry anger in your life. Somebody say Amen. Yeah, you don't carry anger in your life. Okay, so then Paul, listen, and says, oh, rage. Rage is like a planned anger. Uh, anger can be explosive. Rage is one that simmers. That simmers. So let's see. yep, yep, here's some rage right there. Right there in old blue. Don't want to carry this up the mountain. Okay, so we're going, to take, we're going to take the rage out. What else we got here? All right, we got rage. Oh, malicious behavior. Out to hurt somebody. Out to do damage to someone. Let's see. yep, sure enough, here's some malicious behavior right here. don't want to carry that up the mountain either. You, You don't want this in your life either. You don't want to be a malicious behaving person, person that's always out to hurt somebody. Okay. So we took that out and let's see, we got anything else in the list there? Oh, we got slander. We got slander. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, yep. There's some slander. Sure enough. There's some slander in there. You don't want to carry this up to the mountain. Okay. So when you talk evil about your brother, things that are not true and you spread gossip about them, you don't want that going up the mountain. Okay. So it's got to come out of old blue. Okay. Now here's the deal. I asked the boys to get me um, seven rocks, all right, and bring them up to the stage and put them here. And my plan was to put all seven rocks in the backpack. Now, you can ask Brent. That rock probably weighs 15 or 20 pounds. I would say 15 pounds anyway. And so as I'm putting the rocks in old blue, I found out something. They wouldn't all fit. See, sin is bigger than we think. Sin is bigger than we think. We think, listen, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll make you pay more than you want to pay and stay longer than you wanted to stay. So I didn't have I didn't have place in old blue for all the sin, and that's what is our life. See, see, we think we can put our sins in our backpack and no one will see them. Sin always impacts more than you think. It affects your children, affects your wife, your husband, your friends, your church, your neighbors. OK, so we got to be careful. We got to be careful, to make sure we get all the sin out of old blue. But we got to understand that these things are dangerous. They will cause you to stumble. And when you're up on a cliff somewhere, it can be pretty dangerous. It can be pretty dangerous. So so that's what Paul says that we're to do then. We're to take away dirty language. And he said, don't lie to other people uh, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its evil deeds. So so that's what we got. We got to leave. Now, watch, we got to leave this behind. In fact, if you go to the verse before that, we got to get rid of this. Don't put it in your medicine cabinet. Don't say, I might need that. You know, if this person offends me again, I'm going to need that anger. If this person offends me again, I'm going to want that malicious behavior. Um, if, if, if my wife does something wrong again, I'm going to want that anger. I'm going to get rid of it. Okay? Get rid of these. Ask forgiveness and put the blood of Jesus Christ on them and get rid of them. Leave them behind. Okay, now, now he says, here's what you take. Because now, now we have room. Oh, that's pretty good. Guess what? Now we have room to take some things. As long as the stuff we should leave behind was in here, there wasn't room for things we should take. Amen? Okay, so let's look and see what it says. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, Paul says, Instead, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Now, I don't use the message. It's, it's not really a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's a loose paraphrase, in fact. It's where a guy takes the verse and says, well, this is, what I, this is how I would say it. But sometimes the message, and it's great, by the way, it's great for reading. Great for reading. I don't, of course, I wouldn't study the take it as Bible study with it. But, but here's what the message says. It does it well. You remember the Philippians eight? Well, you'll you recognize it. It says this. You'll do best... You do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. So when we allow the Holy Spirit to renew our thoughts, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And by the way, see when you let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts, all of a sudden the anger for that guy that you don't like, you can get rid of it because God changes it. Amen? God changes it. All right? So so he moves on. He moves on. Now, here's what he said like this. He said, remove your, your thoughts and renew your attitudes. Now, this is so cool. Remember what we always do when we talk about repentance? What is it? Repentance is like you're going one way And you turn around and go the other way. That is a good illustration. It's just that there's a better one. And the better one is this. It's a change of attitude. It's more accurate scripturally to say when we repent, we have a change of attitudes. Um, Before we are saved, we have the attitude, who needs God? Once we get saved, we can't do without God. Okay, so it changes our attitude. So we're to let the Holy Spirit renew our thoughts. We think differently, but also our attitude is different. We have a different attitude about God, about life, about sin, about people. Okay, he says, then put on your new nature, created, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, so what we want to do now, we have this nice empty backpack. We got rid of all this stuff that we need to leave behind. Okay, And now we've got room for the things we want to take. And what are the things we want to take? We want to take the things that are all things Jesus. Remember, we left behind all things not Jesus. And now we want to fill the bag with all things Jesus as we make the journey. So, we go here. And these are the Jesus things. Okay, And so we've got here, we've got some love. We'll get that in there. There's some peace. We got room for peace. Um, Let's see. Here's some kindness here. Yeah. There you go. Put that in there. And let's see here. We got some. Oh, here. Look here. Look here. Look here. Look here. Look here. About losing. uh, There. Got grace. Got grace. There we go. Put that there. Okay. All right. Good deal. Self-control. Got some self-control here. Um, Let's see here. What else? What's that? Brent, give me another good characteristic. Self-control, a kindness, generosity. Generosity, sure. We got room for generosity. Uh, oh, I got one more. I got one more. Um, um, goodness, thank you, buddy. All right, so we got goodness. Now watch this. Now watch this, see. I think, Blue, don't let me down here, buddy. Blue, don't let me down. Don't let me down, Blue. There we go. Okay, good deal. Yeah, oh, look, look. look. Isn't that amazing? See, See, with the... With the, um, with the things we need to leave behind, they all wouldn't even fit in here because they're so heavy. They weighed me down so, so badly. But, but when we bring in the things of Jesus, Brent, come here, come here, come here. Brent, try that on, buddy. I mean, don't fizzle. Just how, how heavy is that? Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, hello. How about that? You see why? You know why? Because sin is heavy and forgiveness is not. See, it's not. In fact, you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 30? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light. I want this to go up the mountain with me. I can handle it. I can do it. Okay? So we have to determine what we're going to leave behind. And that's the sin and the ways. And what we're going to take it's all things Jesus. It's all things um, Jesus, all right? Now, look in verse number 1, the third part. He says, now, now, we're going to run the race. Let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. Now, I, didn't, I ran down Mount Lacan. I actually did. I ran down Mount Leconte with three other guys, um, but I did not run up Leconte, okay? But the idea we want to carry into our message tonight is let us trek, Let us travel, let us trek, let us walk, okay, with endurance, with determination of the race that God has set before us. Now, you've got to understand this, okay? As the guide takes you up up to the top, the summit, and the guide is Jesus, okay, as he takes us up there, each trek is different. Remember what, what it says? Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So my trek is one trek, Brent. You've got a different track. Okay, hey, Roth. Roth, Roth, quit patting her leg. <laughs> He's got a different track. And David over here, Dave's got a different track. Candy, you got a different track. All of us have different tracks. We have different paths. We have different races that we're going to run. Okay? Do you remember, remember when Jesus was resurrected in John chapter 21 and Jesus talks to Peter and publicly restores him? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You remember that part? Do you remember the part, though, when they're kind of like walking slowly along? And, and, you know, Jesus says, now, Peter, these aren't exact words. But, Peter, you're going to have an ending. It's not be a good ending. They're going to stretch your hands out. He, Jesus was saying, you're going to be crucified like I was crucified. Okay? And then Jesus hears the footsteps. He turns around, and there's John. So you know what Peter said, don't you? What about him? What about him? And the Dwayne Taylor translation of what Jesus said is this. Don't worry about him, you worry about yourself. See, the trouble is, we get so jealous because we want, I want Bill's race. Well, that's Bill's race. God gave Bill that race. He gave me this race. Okay, so choose, you know, find out the race that God's called you to run, and then run it with determination, with strength. Um, You know I love Psalm 37, but this is the New Living Translation. I've used this before. He says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. So as I trek up the mountain with Jesus, he's my guide. He's directing my steps. I watch where he steps and I step where he steps. I watch where he turns and I turn where he turns. Okay? I watch where he turns. The steps, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. Now listen, listen, listen. This is so good. He delights, he delights in every detail of their life. So God's got, this, God's got this path for you, this trek for you, and it's, it's for you, and he delights in every detail of it. That doesn't mean that every, every detail is easy. It might be hard. But your heavenly father, Marcia, your heavenly father knows you, and he knows what's best for you. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the father above. So as we trek, he directs our steps and he delights in every detail of this path. And I love this. Though they stumble, I'm going up the mountain, I stumble, okay? Though they stumble, they'll never fall. They will never fall for the Lord holds them by the hand. And I love this, I love this, I love this. I don't hold on to God. God holds on to me. I don't hold on to God. You don't hold on to God. God holds on to you. How powerful is that? And then Habakkuk of all places. Habakkuk 3.19. Habakkuk 3.19. The Lord is my strength, Habakkuk says. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet. I want you to know something. I looked for this translation. It's the King James Version. I knew I had learned those words, hind feet. And I wanted to paint the picture for you. Okay? Now here's the picture. There are mountain goats. There are mountain deer. And they are so designed by God that when they run on the mountains, that wherever their front feet are, their rear feet automatically follow in the exact same spot. It gives them incredible surety. So if the deer jumps here, their rear feet automatically spring forward and land in the same place. And the deer knows instinctively that if it was good for the front feet, it's good for the back feet. Okay, so he makes, I love this, he makes my feet like Hinds' feet. He makes me like a deer who knows where my feet are going to land. He gives me surety as I journey through life. He will make me walk upon my high places, upon my places of goodness and my places of victory. And then he says, oh, by the way, pass this on to the chief musician. It was so important, he wanted to make sure it was included in worship. And then finally, Psalm 1836 you have made, talking to God, you have made a wide path. You have made a safe path for my feet to keep them from slipping. Over in, over in Psalm ninety-four eighteen. Oh my goodness. If I say my foot is slipping, your faithful love will hold me. Amen, isn't that good? Your faithful love will hold me. So we can trek up this mountain and we can trek our path. Trek our path. Knowing that. Does God ever make a mistake? Does God ever make a mistake? No, he does not. Okay, so whatever your path looks like, okay, you can trust it because it was designed with you in mind by your Father. Now, he moves on now, the author of Hebrews moves on, saying this. Now, we do this, we do that, we, we trek with Jesus, we trek with God. Okay, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The key is keeping our eyes on Jesus. Now, I don't know of a pastor who passed up this, this teaching because it's just a perfect teaching about keeping our eyes on Jesus. Okay. We got Jesus walking on the water. Remember that story? Okay. They're in a storm, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. Okay, And they thought it was a ghost, and they're all afraid. And here's what Peter says, and this is Matthew 14, 28. Then Peter called out to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Hey, Hey, Jesus, if it's really you, let me do the impossible. If it's really you, let me do the impossible. And Jesus said, yes, come. So, Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now, at this point, Peter has his eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, listen to what I'm fixing to say. When your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you can do the impossible. When your eyes are fixed on Jesus. Remember that scripture we all love? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the power of it. Okay? So, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can do the impossible. All right? Now, Here, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. Verse number 30. 30. Um, But when he saw the wind, you know, there was howling around him. He saw the wind and the waves. He was terrified. He was terrified and began to sink. So what happened when he took his eyes off Jesus? Can't do the impossible anymore. Come on, church. Come on, church. We can't do... When we get our eyes off Jesus, we can no longer do the impossible. I wonder if that's why the church is in such a hot mess. Because we got our eyes on our budgets. We got our eyes on our wallets. We got our eyes on our abilities. We got our eyes on the preachers. We got our eyes on everything else but Jesus. And we got to get our eyes back on God. Well, he, he gets his eyes off Jesus and immediately he starts sinking. All of a sudden, the impossible is impossible. So what does he do? was terrified. He cries out, Save me, Lord! He shouted. Now, trust me, I know we have to read between the line, but don't you think he's probably looking at Jesus when he said that? I don't think he's looking back at the boat. I don't think he's, looking more. I think he's got his eyes on Jesus. Save me, Jesus! And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Isn't it funny? When he put his eyes back on Jesus, he immediately got what he needed. When he put his eyes back on Jesus, he immediately got what he needed. And then Jesus grabbed him and said, you know what? You have a little faith. You have a little faith. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? So we got to keep our eyes on Christ. And, and then, and then in verse number 12, the second part, the, the author of Hebrews now starts describing this Jesus. Okay? He says, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You know, they said this word in the, in the Greek it's like way complicated in a good way. It's complicated in a way. It can mean multiple things. Um, it can mean trailblazer. It can mean pioneer. It can be wayfinder. It can be founder. It can be hero. All the, it can be champion. All these different words. So keep your eyes on the trailblazer, the pioneer, the wayfinder, the founder, the hero, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He initiates... He bursts it in our lives and then He matures it. See, this is, this is what it's all about. If if you were done when you got saved, God would have just taken you home. But you get to spend these years learning to be like Jesus, learning to trust God, learning to be like Him, having your faith matured, matured. And see, as our as our pioneer, as our wayfinder, He's so much like the cloud that led the children of Israel. You ever thought about that? You know, Exodus 13, verse 21. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day. So during the day, with a pillar of cloud. Because they could see the cloud. Okay? And then, He provided light at night with a pillar of fire. And this allowed them to travel day and night. Jesus. Jesus, our wayfarer, our guide, our hero, Our champion is adequate adequate for day and night. Day and... Hey, hey, he is adequate for coronavirus. He is adequate for a divided nation. He's adequate when the word is cancer. He's adequate when the troubles is in family. He's always adequate. He's there night and day for us. Well... The author goes on and says this in verse 12, the third part. He's adequate because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Because of the joy awaiting him. I think four times, five, I've taught this. I'm really hoping it will just get into your heart. We've learned this last year that joy is not an emotion. I'm sorry, Biblical joy. The world's joy, who knows what that is. But biblical joy is not emotion. It doesn't depend on circumstances. Okay? You remember? You got it there? Biblical joy is a deep sense of well-being. Not based on your circumstances, but based on your faith in God and his trust in his sovereign will. See, Jesus could endure the cross because he trusted his father and he trusted his sovereign will if we do the same we'll do well we'll do well he was able he was able to endure the cross disregarding the shame and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne see jesus was able to endure the shame and the cross because he didn't look here he looked there I, you need to get this. See, so often we think this is all there is. We think this is it. This is not it. It is heaven. It is eternity. And we've got to trust him. We've got to trust him with this. Okay, okay. What if it doesn't turn out like you planned? What if, what if you end up at the end of life, your family's broken, and what if there's no money in the bank? And what if you lost your portfolio and you lost your toys? What if? What what if? What if your body's broken for sixty years of the eighty that you've got on this earth? What is that compared to eternity? What is that compared to a billion years with an unbroken body? So, when they say, Amen? What is that compared? What is 70 years of brokenness here compared to a billion years there? And perfect. Wow. How about that? Well, Dwayne, that's what you preachers say. No, that's what this says. That's what I'm telling you. We are so worldly minded. We've got. To get into the Word of God, we've got to believe the Word of God. We've got to assimilate it into our hearts and bodies. We've got to hear the truth, and we've got to assimilate the truth. And we start assimilating the truth, then the Holy Spirit comes in, and He changes my thoughts, and He changes my attitudes. And when He changes my thoughts and my attitudes, He changes my direction, and He changes my life. That's it. That's it. Well, He endured that, and we get down to the last verse. Think of all the hostility. This is verse 3. Think of all the hostility he endured for simple, or from sinful people. See, we... Remember last week in one, one of the sermons, whether it was Wednesday or Sunday morning, who knows, but I talked specifically about we want to put the apostles in a special department like they had superpower blood and we don't. We can never be a Peter because Peter had something we don't have and we learned that wasn't true. Peter was complete in Jesus and so are we. The truth is the truth, okay? We forget something. Jesus was 100% God. He was 100% man. He faced the cross and the cruelty of the cross and his humanity. Think those nails didn't hurt? Think that whip ripping his back apart didn't hurt? No, I did. He faced it. And that's what, and that's what the author is saying. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Because then, when you understand his humanity, then you will become weary and give up because you say, wait, my, my champion, my hero, my wayfinder, my guide, he endured it. So can I. So can I. As he endured suffering, so can I. And man, when you think about him and who he is, You know, you've got to think about his boldness. I still love it. I used this about three months ago in a sermon. You know, he's before Pilate, and Pilate's all cocky, you know. Asked him a question. Jesus doesn't answer it. Pilate's all fired up and full of himself and says this. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? All full of himself, Mr. Pilate. You know what Jesus said? Listen to this boldness. You would have no authority. No authority over me at all. If it hadn't been given you from above. Hey, Mr. Pilot. Hey, Mr. Puffy Pilot. Hey, Mr. I'm full of myself, Pilot. The only authority you have is one my father, has granted to you by the way for his will to be accomplished so I could die on a Roman cross and so I could pay for the sins of all all mankind so that people could come in relationship. Hey, Mr. Pilate, you're just a pawn in my father's hand. That's all you are. That's all you are. Look, look at his mercy. In Luke chapter 23, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Incredible mercy. The ones who drove the nails. The one who pierced his side. The one who platted the crown of thorns. The one who stripped his back of flesh. Father, forgive them. They know not what to do. What incredible mercy is that? Consider his endurance. See, I know some of us will never make it to base camp. Some of us will never leave base camp. And some of us will never make it to the summit. But some will. Some will. And Jesus went all the way. He went all the way. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. It's finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. I love to say this because it's true. They didn't kill him. He gave his life. They didn't kill him. He gave his life. Oh, the endurance. And the mercy and the endurance and the boldness that Jesus demonstrated is available to every child of God. We can endure, we can be bold, we can show mercy. We just have to make sure it's in the backpack. Because whatever we take up on the mountains, what we're going to have, we've got to make sure we pack all things Jesus. All things Jesus. I thought it appropriate, and it's good to boot, this wonderful quote from George Washington, the first president, some call him the father of our country. I love it when people say, well, the founding fathers weren't perfect. Well, since since are you? Last time I checked, we aren't perfect either. But here's a prayer that George Washington prayed. Bless my family, my kindred, my friends, and my country. And this is why I chose this. Be our God and guide. Way back, 240 some odd years ago, our founding father says, God, this young country is on a track and we need you. Hey God, be our God. Hey God, be our guide this day. And forever, for Jesus' sake, who laid down his life in the grave and rose again for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. For the sake of your son, Jesus, be our guide. And be our God. So the question is, are you ready to go to the top? It's an individual decision. Just like salvation is an individual decision that each person has to make. You have to choose, are you willing to agree with God that you have sinned and agree to believe that Jesus Christ died on the Roman cross, something similar to this, and shed his blood that people like you and me could have forgiveness of sins. Are you willing to believe that even today? And then if we already have done that, do we want to go to the top? Are we really satisfied with with living in the valley? Hey, are we satisfied with halfway to base camp? Maybe maybe we're going to make it, are are we satisfied with base camp? Or do we want to summit? Do we want to end the race by going like Paul? I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. Hence, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, but all those who love his appearing. Let's summit. Let's go to the top. And we've got a great opportunity. These are still very scary times. These are times our country needs the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's summit in the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so very much for the privilege today of sharing these truths. Thank you for the illustration of the backpack, Father. Help us, God, to empty ours out. The junk that we carry around in life that makes it such a hassle, makes it so hard. Help us to leave it behind. And help us to fill it with all things, Jesus. Your love and your mercy and your kindness and your grace and your goodness and your self-control. I pray for that, Father or there's someone listening this morning, maybe in this room, but, but maybe on Facebook or YouTube or maybe on the radio and they realize they need a Savior, may today be the day that you would call them to yourself. And then, Father, for the rest of us who are listening today, I want to pray, Jesus, in your name um, that we'll have the courage to prepare to trek and we will be satisfied With nothing less than the summit. When you said Jesus I have come. That you may have life. And have it more abundantly. You are talking about the top. You are talking about the summit. Help us Father. Prepare us for that journey. And Jesus I pray this. In your precious name.